How's it going, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about some more films that I saw in 2022 and reviewing every single one of them. And with that, we're just going to get right to the show. But before we go ahead and do that, I want to remind you guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel and turn on notifications so you know when new episodes of the show come out. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you're leaving me a rating and a review. And help me spread the good word about the House of Horror. If you have any friends who would be interested in the show, make sure you're pointing them in my direction. And yeah, like I said, we're going to keep this intro as quick as possible, so we're just going to go right ahead and get to the show. So now it's time to get spooky. What's going on, boys and ghouls, and welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. And welcome to part two of every horror film that I watched in 2022. Um, as you guys heard, last time we did this episode, I got all the way from January to the end of March. So today we're picking it back up with the month of April. Um, it's another wonderful day today, although things have not been going according to my plans. Things didn't really work out the way I wanted them to today. Just a little bit of a backstory. Today is my day off from work, and every time it's my day off from work, something happens that just makes my plans <laughs> not go according to the way that I have them in my brain. Today, I wasn't planning on recording, but everything works out the way it's supposed to, because this should be a great fun episode because it's very spontaneous. I wasn't planning on recording this right now. Today was going to be a day where I was going to be doing some extensive editing and I was going to do my editing at the laundromat whilst cleaning my clothes, whilst making sure all of my fabrics were washed and dried. But unfortunately, I went to said laundromat and their internet was completely down, so that meant you could not use any cards to pay for your laundry being done, and I had no internet whence to use the internet to get the clips, pictures, and stuff that I need for the editing, which I was going to be doing quite extensively today. So, I will not be doing laundry today, and I will not be doing any of the editing that I wanted to do today. Instead, I shall be recording part two of every horror film that I saw in 2022. So, we're going to make the best of it. It's going to be a fun episode. Um, it just sucks that the internet does not work, and now I have a pile. Well, it's not a pile. It's in a basket. I got a basket of stinky clothes I got nothing to do with. And now, I'm going to have to wait another day, or maybe find another laundromat, but the problem is all the laundromats around me, besides this specific laundromat, is co like coin only. But this one was the only one you could use your card, and I don't carry coins, and I'm not going to an ATM and paying a fee to get cash and to get quarters, and no, it's just a huge hassle. So I'm dealing with the pile of stinky clothes. Hopefully tomorrow I can get that resolved. But yeah, that was my morning today. But as a little treat, I did get myself Taco Bell breakfast. So, you know, everything's fine. And now I'm sitting here recording this, which was I was planning on recording tomorrow. But I'm recording it a day early. So I'm a little underprepared, but it's going to be what it is. And you know what? That's the spontaneity of this podcast. That's what you guys come to see. You're not here 
just for the horror things. You're here to see me be a hot mess, as always. And as I said, we're picking it up with the month of April. Um, if you missed out where we left off last time, um, I do suggest listening to that episode first so you can see all of the films that I watched in January, February, and March. Films like The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Rabbits, um, The Incredible Shrinking Man, X, um, just a few off the top of my head, um, The Shed, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, House on Haunted Hill, My Bloody Valentine, plenty of other films that I watched during those beginning months of 2022, and now we're moving into the second quarter of 2022, I guess, April, and we'll see how far we get, but we're starting off with April. And we're starting off with a film that I talked about in another show, a franchise that I've talked about in other shows, Friday the 13th, Part 3, from 1982, also directed by Steve Miner, who did Part 2. A new dimension in terror. An idyllic summer turns into a nightmare of unspeakable terror for yet another group of naive counselors. Ignoring Camp Crystal Lake's bloody legacy, one by one they fall victim to the maniacal Jason who stalks them at every turn. Friday the 13th Part 3 is hot fucking booty. Friday the 13th Part 3 is not one of my favorites in the franchise. I think it's actually towards the bottom. Um, but I do have a special connection to Part 3 because my parents, God love them, they went to go see this in 1982, back when it first came out. This was their senior, junior to senior year of high school. Probably the first horror movie they saw in theaters. And they saw Friday the 13th Part 3 with the 3D glasses and everything. And I bet at the time they were horrified. Um, my parents aren't really horror fans. Um, so I was surprised that they had told me that they had seen this one in theaters. I believe this is the one that they saw in theaters because I think my mom mentioned that she was wearing glasses um, to watch the film. So just a very bizarre connection that I have with Friday the 13th Part 3. Um, but as I said, it's not my favorite Friday film. And um, I talk about it more in depth in the podcast that I did with Midnight Miles, the man behind the mask mandroid, about the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, so I'm not going to go too deep in depth with it. Um, I do love the opening credit sequence of the film. Um, it's got this crazy synth music in it. There's some lazy kills in it, and Jason himself is just kind of lazy in the film. It is the iconic film where he gets the hockey mask, but besides that, you can kind of just skip it. Um, there's nothing really spectacular about the film. The only thing about the film that I really like is there's a kid who they had to have based, like Seth Rogen had to have based the Seth character in Superbad off of this guy. Because um, this dude is straight Jonah Hill. Um, he's a riot. Um, but the rest of the film, I think, is very slow-paced, very boring, um, horrible acting throughout. Um, it doesn't add anything really new from the first two. It still does the stupid dream sequences all the time. It still has the jump scare ending. I don't know. Part 3, don't recommend. I think it's very uninspired, except for the hockey mask. The hockey mask, if it wasn't for that Part 3, there'd be, I don't know, it would be even worse than it is, I guess. Friday the 13th Part 3, do not really recommend. Coming up next on our list is another infamous horror sequel from a different franchise, however. Um, the next film that I watched on April 16th was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Part 2. 
Dos. Um, also directed by Toby Hooper, who of course did the original. This is basically a parody of the original. Um, it's very, very heavy on the comedy, but after rewatching it, it is a lot more horrific than I remember it in the past. Um, I remember actually excluding it from my top 10 horror sequels when I did that podcast with Miles because I felt it was too deep into the comedy. But after re-watching it, it is a lot more horrifying than I remember it being the first time around. After a decade of silence, the buzz is back. Chainsaw-wielding maniac Leatherface is up to his cannibalistic ways once again, along with the rest of his twisted clan, including the equally disturbed Chop Top. This time, the masked killer has set his sights on pretty disc jockey Vanita Stretch Brock, who teams up with Texas lawman Lefty Enright to battle the psychopath and his family deep within their lair, a macabre abandoned amusement park. It's a classic film. It's a classic sequel. It's very, very different tonally from the original, as I said. Um, Dennis Hopper is great in it. Um, Bill Mosley as Chop Top is insane. And Carolyn Williams is very, very good. Very good scream queen um, in this film. And what I want to talk about with this film more so than the film itself was my experience watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Because me, Miles, Midnight Marissa, and my illustrious wife, Beck Nasty, went to go see this in perhaps the most insane and most beautiful theater that I've ever been to. Um, it was at the Lorraine Theater, the Lorraine Palace Theater in Ohio, and it is a palace. Huge vaulted ceilings, beautiful, like it has to be seen to be believed. Um, Google pictures of the Lorraine Palace Theater. Um, you guys definitely have to go check it out if you're in the Ohio area, see a film there. But it was a big, it was a big event. It wasn't just that they were showing the film. There were vendors there. It was like a flea market kind of thing. Carolyn Williams herself was there at the screening doing a Q&A um, before the film commenced. Um, so people got the chance to meet her, get a photo, um, sign autographs, stuff like that. It was very amazing having her there and listening to the stories that she had to tell about the film. Um, it was hosted by, um, one of the hosts from the Big Bad B movie show up here in Cleveland, um, Laura, and it was just a really, really good time all around. It was one of the most fun nights that I have had so far this year. Um, lots of people dressed up. There was a dude as Leatherface. Um, there's an infamous picture of me and Miles with this guy. Um, we got food on the street. There were, like, dudes making, like, sandwiches. I got, like, a Philly cheesesteak outside of the theater. Um, it was a really, really great time. It was a lot of fun, um, to go see this on the big screen and just the whole experience around it. Um, uh, maybe sometime me and Miles are gonna have to talk about... Um, how we went to go see this and some of the other things that we are going to go see. Um, of course, we're going to be going back to Cinema Wasteland this year. Maybe we'll talk about that. Um, he's been going to like these drive-in horror festivals as well. So you might just have to do like a horror experience episode of stuff to do. Just get in the Halloween spirit all year round because this was like in April, as I said. Um, but amazing Lorraine Palace Theater. If I remember to post... 
um, or splice in pictures for you guys. I'm probably not going to splice in pictures into the podcast, to be honest, because after I record this, I'm going to completely forget to do it, just like I say every single time that I do one of these podcasts. I was like, oh, I'll splice it in so you guys can see it. Um, but go check out on my Instagram and Twitter um, where I've posted photos of this event uh, with me and Miles and Leatherface and stuff like that. It's a really, really amazing theater, um, and I hope to see more stuff there. Um, it was a very, very great place. Um, so yeah, really, really enjoyed seeing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two this year. Um, the next film I saw isn't exactly horror, but it does have have some horrific elements and it's by a very prolific horror director, um, these days, Robert Eggers, um, The Northman. Um, it's not a horror film, but it does have some horror elements to it. There's some supernatural elements to it. There's some spooky shit in it. Um, but for the most part, it's an action revenge drama film. Um, but I just wanted to bring it up because it does have some horror elements to it. So if you are a horror fan, um, I do recommend that you check it out. Um, but again, it's not a horror film beginning to end. Um... It's a very meme-worthy film. Um, I, to me, to be honest, I think The Northman is my least favorite out of Robert Eggers' films. I like The Witch and The Lighthouse better. Um, but it's not by a war- wide margin. I think all three of the films are fantastic. Um, but this one has the most simple story to it. I wish That's my biggest thing with The Northman. I wish there was more to it than what we actually got. Um, it could have made all the difference. I know it sounds insane. From a four-star film, which is what I gave it to, a four-and-a-half-star film. Um, but I wish there was a little bit more to it than what we got, but for what it is, I still think it's very, very fantastic. I wish they would have delved more into the supernatural kind of things that they were doing in this, but it all is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. Next, the following night... My wife and I watched Carnival of Souls, um, which I believe was on my list for last year. I believe I watched Carnival of Souls again last year. Um, Maybe it's going to be a yearly thing for me. I really, really love Carnival of Souls. Of course, directed by Herc Harvey back in 1962. I did an entire episode of the House of Horror about Carnival of Souls. Um, 15 Phenomenal Facts, one of my favorite series that I would love to bring back and start doing more episodes of that, although it is the most time-consuming episodes that I do are the ones that are the 15 Phenomenal Facts, um, for obvious reasons. I mean, I think the quality of those episodes are the best, but they also require the longest hours and the most work to do. Um, So it's very hard to balance and justify making them, which I do want to make more. I do plan on making more, but it's just getting the time to do it within this month. Um, But Carnival of Souls, that's what we're here to talk about, not my sidetracks. Carnival of Souls, she escaped death, now it wants her back. Mary Henry ends up the sole survivor of a fatal car accident through mysterious circumstances. Trying to put the incident behind her, she moves to Utah and takes a job as a church organist. Which, fun fact, she's taking the job as a church organist, even though she doesn't necessarily like the church. She is not really, she doesn't really believe these things. She is an organist, and if the church is going to pay her this money to come and play the organ, then she's going to take it. She's not super religious or anything, which I find very, very interesting. But her fresh start is interrupted by visions of a fiendish man. As the visions begin to occur more frequently, Mary finds herself drawn to a deserted carnival on the outskirts of town. The strangely alluring carnival may hold the secret to her 
tragic past. Um, Carnival of Souls is a masterpiece. One of my favorite films, for some stupid reason I have it only ranked four stars, should be four and a half easy. Um, I love Carnival of Souls, one of my favorite films of that era um, of the 60s. Um, I'm going to have to look at what other films came out in 1962. This may be the best film to come out in 1962. Not sure. I'm going to have to look and see what else came out that year. But uh, to me, Carnival of Souls is as close to a perfect chiller as you can get. Um, I love it. If you haven't seen it yet, it's definitely one for the books. It's definitely one to check out 1,000%. And that's wrapping up the month of April. Um, not too, too much going on in April. Um, I must have been a busy dude because I didn't watch very many films at all in April. The only film in April that I watched that I didn't talk about because it wasn't horror was Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Those were the only films I watched. Carnival of Sorrows, Northmen, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, and Sonic 2. Those are the only ones I watched in April. May is another story. We got a lot of films in May. Um, I think I got a lot of films in, like, July, too. Um, can't remember that much about June. I don't have it on the screen of my letterbox at the moment. But I remember May was a big month of films. Um, a lot of them are films I'm going to go through a little bit on the quicker side because of obvious reasons, but we'll dive right into it. Um, for May 3rd, the first film that I watched this month was Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, which was part four. Um, very funny that they call it the final chapter and still call it the final chapter to this day when it's part four out of 12 installments. Um, Jason's back, and this is the one you've been screaming for. After the Crystal Lake massacres, Jason is pronounced dead and taken to a hospital morgue, where he is mysteriously revived, allowing his diabolical killing spree to continue at the camp where the gruesome slaughtering began. But this time, in addition to terrified teenagers, he meets a young boy named Tommy, who has a special talent for horror masks and makeup, leading up to a horrifying, bloody battle. Has Jason finally met his match? You'll have to check out the film and find out for yourself. Um, so I want to keep it short and sweet, but... I love that part four picks up right where three left off. Jason's body is still motionless in the barn. Um, I love the cliched pervert doctor who's disgustingly eating like a deli sandwich over dead bodies, which is a huge cliche in horror films. And he's watching that weird um, aerobic, aerobicized tape or whatever the hell he's watching. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love part four. It's one of my favorite um, films in the Friday the 13th series, so I don't want to talk about too, talk about it too much in this episode. Um, I love the special effects. Of course, Tom Savini came back to do the special effects in part four. Um, Crispin Glover is great. Um, Corey Feldman is great. Um, I love that the look of Jason in this, when he is demasked, it looks similar to the Jason from the first film. And it said that, like, Savini only wanted to do this film because he wanted to kill the character that he brought to life to begin with. Um, I like that Tommy Jarvis, it's like a unique twist because up until this point, it's just been a lot of teenagers and stuff. It's unique to have a child in one of these films. Um, I love the colors. I love the kills. I love the slow motion shit in the film. Um, I love that they're watching 16 millimeter film in the movie and like they do that kill where the blood is up against the screen. 
Um, part four is great. Uh, Miles hates it for some reason. He thinks part four is like the drizzling shits. Um, but part four, in my mind, is as close to as perfect of a Friday the 13th as you can get. It's not my absolute favorite, but it is pretty close. Um, and the next film that I watched was another Friday the 13th film. I watched them a little bit out of order. Was Friday the 13th 6, Jason Lives. Of course, this is the return of Jason after Part 5, which, spoiler alert, he is not in Part 5. Um, this one was the one with the Alice Cooper song, The Man Behind the Mask. He's back. Incredible, credible track. Um, kill or be killed. Determined to finish off the infamous killer Jason Voorhees once and for all, Tommy Jarvis and his friend exhume Jason's corpse in order to cremate his body. Things go awry when Jason is instead resurrected, sparkling a new chain of ruthlessly brutal murders. Now it's up to Tommy to stop the dark, devious, and demented deaths that he unwillingly brought about. Um, I love the intro of this film, first and foremost. The intro of this movie is one of the best in the entire franchise. Um, with Jason coming out of the grave, the jump cuts up into his face like an homage to the original Frankenstein. I love all the horror references in this film. There's like Karloff's Bakery. Um, there's all kinds of different things going on in the film. There's like Cunningham Street. Um, there's so much stuff in this film that is just, it's just chock full of things that I love. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Alex Cooper as a musician, but I love what Alex, Alice Cooper represents, and I love all of the songs that are featured in this film. Um, I love the, the nod to James Bond with the machete acting as the, the opening, how it, instead of James Bond shooting the camera, it's Jason slashing the camera and the blood drips down. Um, I love this film. This is another one that I really, really love. One of my favorites in the series. Has a lot of humor in it. Um, it has that crazy paintball scene. I believe that's in this one. Um, I love it. It has the total package. It doesn't have the best kills in the entire franchise, but it makes up for it with everything else. The only thing about this film that I'm not really into is Tommy Jarvis himself. I think at this point... Um, it's, it's not adding anything new. I mean, the actor does a good job, but this is my least favorite of the Tommy Jarvises that we get in any of these films. Um, this is the first one that really feels like a Hollywood movie. The other ones felt really like underground. This one, you have that big budget, sleek look to it. Um, so part six, one of the good ones. I really like part six. Um, and we're just going to move on to the next film that I watched. Um, and that is The Rental. This one I watched with my mother-in-law, um, when she came over. We always pick, like, a crappy Netflix or Hulu horror movie to watch. I think my sister-in-law was here as well. And we picked The Rental, um, directed, strangely enough, by Dave Franco. Scheduled getaway, killer views. Two couples on an oceanside getaway grow suspicious that the host of their seemingly perfect rental house may be spying on them. Before long, what should have been a celebratory weekend trip turns into something far more sinister. Um, this film is its a very serviceable horror film. Um, needless to say, um, it's banking on the whole thing that was going on at the time where Airbnb owners were hiding hidden cameras in the Airbnbs and spying on people. 
Um, and just in general, people being very cautious of staying in other people's homes. You don't know what's going on. And it works the other way around. If you're, you have an Airbnb, if you're hosting on Airbnb, um, the people you're letting in your house, um, it sort of toys with that as well, I guess. Um, even though that's not what the film is about, it's definitely the other way around. The person renting the house is the one that is the creep. Um, but it could have played out the opposite direction. Um, from first, I won't say first-hand experience, from second-hand experience, um, Mazer Laser, um, Dynamite Jarrett's illustrious fiancé, um, her father put his house on Airbnb, and someone burned a dick onto their porch like the outline of a dick is just burned onto his porch um so you're letting some fuckers stay at your house that's that's bad news bro um you tell as sonic says would say you tell them that's no good um the rental it's a three star it's perfectly serviceable um if it sounds like something you'd be interested in check it out if not you can skip it as well um it's nothing really too crazy you can see the twist coming at the end a mile away um, but it's good. I mean, it's good. Just a fun, chill little horror movie to put on or whatever. Again, nothing really groundbreaking. Um, and next, I watched another Friday the 13th film. Can you tell I'm watching a lot of the Friday the 13th films to prepare for my ranking of all of them? Um, I watched part five next. Um, I, wa I watched part five after part six because originally I was saving part five to watch with some people, but then the plans didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to, so I watched part five instead um, instead of what we were planning. So that's why I did it a little out, out of order because we were saving part five for a different occasion. But needless to say, none of that matters. I watched part five next. A new beginning to a to the... Wow, I screwed up that sentence, and I'm not going to edit it out. I'm leaving that in. I'm sorry I screwed up that sentence, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. I'm sorry that I flubbed over my words. It's fine. A new beginning to the first step in terror. Homicidal maniac Jason returns... <laughs> Jason returns from the grave to cause more bloody mayhem. Young Tommy may have escaped from Crystal Lake, but he's still haunted by the gruesome events that happened there. When gory murders start happening at the secluded halfway house for troubled teens where he lives now, it seems like the nightmarish nemesis, Jason, is back for more sadistic slaughters. But as many spiral out of control and the body count rises, Tommy begins to wonder if he's become the killer that he fears most. Um, plot twist, no, it is not Tommy Jarvis that is doing the killings in this, nor is it Jason. Um, this film has to be seen to be believed. Had I not rewatched it, I would have put it towards the end of my Friday the 13th rank, but rewatching it back, it's way, way better than I remember it being. It's really, really good. Um, so many funny moments. Again, it's a film that you kind of have to talk about scene by scene, to go over everything. I mean, there's the the chocolate kill. There's, like, the goth e-girl dancing in the bedroom. There's the scene where the dude is trying to seduce someone on the couch, and he's asking her to make love to him, and then she cracks up, and then he flips out and runs out of the room. Um, there's so many classic scenes in this film. Um, I love part five. For some reason, I mean, everyone hates it because for the same reason people hate Halloween 3, because... Jason isn't in it. Michael Myers isn't in Halloween 3. It's the easy reason to hate it. Um, but as far as the bounce back, 
now everyone loves Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Um, everyone is making it seem like it's better than it is. Um, with Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, Part 5, I don't think it has... It has a cult following, but it's not as big of a deal as people make Halloween 3 out to be, for some reason. Um, but regardless, I love Part 5, just like I love the next film in the series that I watched um, a couple days later. Friday the 13th, the remake from 2009. Welcome to Crystal Lake. A group of young adults visit a boarded-up campsite named Crystal Lake, where they soon encounter the mysterious Jason Voorhees and his deadly intentions. Um, this film, the, the biggest thing about this film is it just doesn't feel like a Friday the 13th film to me. It feels just like a modern horror film. It doesn't have the Friday the 13th tone to it. Although it tries, I mean, it tries to have similar things that a Friday the 13th film would have. Sleazy, trashy kills... Um, trashy dudes making comments about women, um, just ridiculousness. Um, I love that the opening credits, or not even the opening credits, the title card pops up like 25 minutes into the film. Um, I love the remake, but it just doesn't feel like a traditional Friday the 13th to me. I think out of the big three remakes, um, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Halloween, this one is by far the best out of those three. Um, I think it's a very good, solid remake, um, but as far as where to rank it in the Friday the 13th series, it's, you're gonna have to check out my episode to find out. Next couple films I watched were not horror films, and guess what, ladies and gents, the next horror film that I watched is yet again another film in the Friday the 13th franchise, um... And from here on out, I think I go sort of back in order with them. I believe I go back in order, because um, I was flopping around a little bit, but now we're back on track with Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, from 1988. Jason is back, but this time someone's waiting. A young girl who possesses the power of telekinesis accidentally causes her father's death after a family dispute at Crystal Lake. Years later, when doctors try to exploit her abilities, her powers become a hellish curse, and she unwittingly unchains the merciless, bloodthirsty Jason Voorhees from his watery grave. Um, this film, I, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I think they opened up too much with giving a human supernatural powers, and it put us down a road where Friday the 13th didn't really need to go. Um, which led to Jason Goes to Hell, which is one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, part 7, um, it's probably the coolest looking Jason. This is when he's like full buff zombie decaying Jason. Um, the first time he's played by Kane Hodder as well. It has the worst ending out of any of the Friday the 13th films, which keeps it from ranking higher up on my list than maybe it should be. But the ending is just so horrendous that it really, really brings it down. Um, it's ridiculously bad. Um, there's also a lot of weird fan films that pick up the story from Part 7, with a lot of the original actors returning um, that were just made a few years ago. I haven't seen any of them. It's just very, very bizarre that that's a thing that even happened. Um, I don't know. Friday the 13th Part 7 is a mixed bag. I do like it a lot more than some other films in the franchise, but I can't admit it has a ton of problems. But there's still a lot of things in about it um, that I really, really like. 
Um, next film coming up on my list gets not Friday the 13th, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the next couple films that I watched were not in the Friday the 13th franchise, but I do know what you did last summer. Um, that was the last film that I watched. Um, this film's from 97. It is one of the biggest horror films of the 90s. Um, my, probably my second or third time watching it. Um, and the reason I haven't watched it that much is because I, the first time I saw it, I don't remember it being that great. And this next time I watched it, I kind of felt the same way. I mean, it's fine. It's completely serviceable. If you're going to bury the truth, make sure it stays buried. As they celebrate their high school graduation, four friends are involved in a hit-and-run accident when their car hits and apparently kills a pedestrian on an isolated roadway. They dispose of the body and vow to keep the incident a secret. A year later, somebody starts sending them letters bearing the warning, I know what you did last summer. Um, it's impossible for me to not associate this film with the Scooby-Doo movie. That has nothing to do with the fact whether I like it or not, but just when you're watching it, you're constantly thinking that it is the Scooby-Doo movie. Um, because it has... You know who it has. It's got the power couple, bro. It's got Sarah Michelle Gellar, and it's got your boy, Freddie Prince Jr. Of course, Daphne and Freddie from the Scooby-Doo movie. Um, this was a couple years earlier, and the film just has a general... If The tone is very similar. It's more similar than you think it would be. It's very similar to the Scooby-Doo movie, in my mind. Maybe I'm crazy, but I always put those two films... They feel a lot the same to me. Um, it opens with a song from one of my favorite bands of all time, Typo Negative, Summer Breeze, um, which I have on a t-shirt, um, the Summer Breeze, I Know What You Did Last Summer collab, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the film, I still like the film, I just don't see what the big deal is about it, but boy do I love me some Summer Breeze. Um, it has a really big budget feel, um, with good, credible actors at the time, good camera angles, helicopter shots. Um, it doesn't give you that low-budget feel that you want to have with a slasher film, and maybe that's what really kind of works against it in this, is that it feels too polished, to me at least. Um, it has the dude from The Big Bang Theory in it as well. I, his name is escaping me. Um, it has like a campfire ghost story scene. It's very cliche, but I love it. Um, but other than that, you're just kind of unsolving the mystery of, you know, who's killing these people, what's going on, who who knows what they did last summer. Um, for me, the film, it's, it's serviceable, it's fine, it's not, I don't see why it's such a major, major classic um, within the horror realm, but it is what it is. Um, I gave it two and a half stars, I think that that's where it should be. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about I Know What You Did Last Summer. Are you tired of plain old breakfast? Sure, is not sugary enough? Are you tired of burnt pancakes and waffles? Then you need slapjacks! The slap I got your face that it causes a chemical reaction to heat up! No cooking required, just slap and eat! Don't believe us? Here's a satisfied customer! Slapjacks are the best breakfast food ever made. Slapjacks, slap those smiles back. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, kid. Slapjack saves lives. Order at www.slapjacks.com.
All right, so the next few films that are coming up on the list are films that I was actually dying to see, one of which was a new release, which is very, very strange for me to really, really be dying to go see a new release film in theaters. And a couple of the other films are films that have been on my watch list for actual years, literal years, and for some reason, I just kind of just never got around to watching them. Um, and of course, there's a couple Friday the 13th films in the mix between those. But the next few films are films that I was very, very much anticipating and very much looking forward to seeing. Um, again, one of them was a new release, and that is the next one we're going to be talking about, was Men. We're going to be talking about Men. Um, I saw this in uh, May 28th of this year. Of course, it is a new release, so it came out. It was brand spanking new. I don't know if it, this was the weekend it came out, or it was pretty It was pretty damn close to it. It was pretty close to the release of the film. Um, of course, directed by Alex Garland, um, a director I very much admire from his work in Ex Machina. Um, I've never seen Annihilation, so I definitely got to see Annihilation after watching Men. Um, what haunts you will find you. In the aftermath of a personal tragedy, Harper retreats alone to the beautiful English countryside, hoping to find a place to heal, but someone or something from the surrounding woods appears to be stalking her. What begins as simmering dread becomes a fully formed nightmare inhabited by her darkest memories and fears. This film is very divisive amongst horror fans, amongst people in general. Um, there's been a lot of different discourse on the internet about it. Um, from both sides of the spectrum, a lot of people really love it, a lot of people really hate it, a lot of people fall into the little middle area of it. I guess for me personally, I fall into the little middle area of it, leaning towards liking it a lot. Um, I gave it three and a half stars, so... I guess a little bit of the story of when I went to go see it. Um, I go in, I sit down, and I'm the only person in the theater, which is always a unique experience. It's just you, um, your left is just you in the film, and you're completely immersed. Um, there's, And I've told the story before about how I saw Paranormal Activity 3 and me and the person I was with were the only ones in the theater. And it's just a very unique experience, especially for a horror film. And I was very much looking forward to having a similar experience with that with men. But then, about 15 minutes after the film started, another couple walked into the theater. So it was just me and this other couple. Um, and we sat there, we watched the film, and it was the damnedest thing at the very, very end after. And if you've seen the film, you know that there's some interesting things that are occurring in this film, specifically towards the climax, which I won't get into here. Um, but I walk out, and I look, and the, the couple who were in there, they were probably like 22, like early 20s couple, boy and girl, and the girl is visibly upset. And she, the guy asked, or she asked me, she was like, oh, what did you think of the film? And I was like, oh, it was something. What did you think? And she's like, it was terrible. And she's like crying, like laughing. Um, it was just very, very amusing. And her boyfriend's just kind of laughing at her. She's laughing. Um, just very funny moment um, that I remember from watching the film in theaters. Um... I don't want to go too much in depth about the plot or the story of this, um, or really the controversy from both sides. I mean, a lot of people are saying that, like, 
oh, it's all about men's toxic traits, which are true, but they're also saying that, yes, it was a male director, and he's saying what women think are men's toxic traits, blah, 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 blah. So I'm just judging it as a film itself, and as a film itself, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I would definitely watch it again. Um, one thing that I didn't know going into the film, which is maybe something you should know going into the film if you plan on watching it, is that all of the men, basically, except for one guy at the beginning, but all of the men, the majority of the men we see in the film are played by the same actor, who does a very, very amazing job. But I didn't know that going in. So going in, I was like, huh, that priest kind of looks like this guy and stuff like that. So like... Had I known going in that it was all the same person, it would have made a lot more sense because for a while I just thought like, oh, is this person disguised as... Because basically, okay, there's a naked guy wandering around and the naked guy looks very, very similar to this priest character, which I just said they're played by the same actor. So I thought, okay, is this priest actually this naked guy in a wig because the naked guy is bald? Um, had I known it was just all portrayed by the same actor, I wouldn't have had that thought. Um, so going in, just know it, they're all played by the same dude. Um, with that, there are some... It's a mixed bag because he does do a good job in all of his roles, but he also plays a child in this, and they, like, CG his face onto a child's body, and it looks like fucking shit. Um, and when I was watching it, since I didn't know it was the same guy, I was like, what, like, why is there this weird CG teenager in the movie? Um, very, very bizarre. Um, I should have done my own research going, because it's very obviously a CG face. Um, there's no, there's no way about it. There are some very good effects in this film, um, especially towards the end, but there's also some pretty bad effects. Um, and it's bad when it's a character in the film, as you're just looking at him and you're just like, I know that that's fake. Um, very ridiculous. Um, I, speaking of the naked guy, I mean, you'll see this going in. I wish they would have kept that this naked stalker that's outside of the house. I wish they would have kept him more in secrecy. Um, I think they show him a little too much during his introduction. I would have kept it a little bit more of a mystery of what was going on, but they're showing him like full frontal and everything. And they're showing, you know, his face, they're showing him sneaking up to the house. I would have kept it a little bit more mysterious going in, but that's not really what the film is about. That's just a little plot point of the film is the naked guy. Um, but at that point in the film, you don't know that. So when I was watching the film, I was like, damn, I wish they would keep this a little bit more secret. Um, again, misogyny is a major theme in the film. Um, every male character in this film is a complete fucking dick. Um, the priest in particular is really horrible um, in this. He's like defending... Um, he's, like, defending rape and stuff, and, like, all oh, women are asking for it, so basically, my moral of the story is we just need to get rid of religion and get rid of that mindset just in the whole world, because all it does is fucking cause problems, um, which we'll see in another film that I'll be talking about, hopefully, in the end of this podcast, um, a film I watched later on in the year. Um, but men, there's not too much to say about it without going through it scene by scene and theme by theme. Um, it's well acted throughout, um, from the main guy who does everything and the main woman who is having to deal with all these terrible men. Um, just very good all the way around. I enjoyed it. I understand that a lot of people will not enjoy it. Um, it's definitely not a film for everybody. Um, but I was very excited to see it in theaters. So... Moving on to the next film is a film that I saw this year for the first time, and I deeply regret 
not seeing it when it came out back in 2017 since then, because basically this has been five years that this film has not been in my life. Um, but I knew going into this film I was going to love it just by the way it looks, just by the images I saw, because I saw pictures of this film on Instagram, Tumblr, on the internet forever. Um, of the ghost in this film. And the film I'm talking about is a ghost story. Um, this was directed by David Lowry um, from 2017. It stars Casey Affleck and Mooney, uh, Rooney Mara. Um, very good film. <laughs> I'm like downplaying it. Like, very good film. I thought it was like a masterpiece. I'm saying it was a good film. It doesn't matter. It's all about time. Just like it was all about time for me watching the damn thing. Recently deceased, a white-sheeted ghost returns to his suburban home to console his wife, only to find that in his spectral state, he has become unstuck in time, forced to watch passively as the life he knew and the woman he loves slowly slip away. Um, I gave the film four stars. It should have been four and a half looking back at it. I think the reason I didn't give it four and a half stars is because... Oh, we'll, get, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, again, I first heard about this film through all of the imagery that I saw. There's that classic image of the ghost kind of just like hunched over in the doorway and the sheet is like dangling through the hallway. It's very, very beautiful imagery. Um, it begs the question, what happens after we die? Like, no one really knows what happens after we die. So this paints a very disturbing yet beautiful picture of it. Um, about moving on to the afterlife, leaving the life behind, and doing something different. Um, something that's very unique about the film is that it's not in widescreen. Um, it makes you feel like you're trapped, or it makes it more focused in on what you need to see. Um, it also gives it like a good like home video almost quality to it. It's shot in like a four by three. Um, it kind of looks like a photograph or an old film camera. Um, that's the way it's shot. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, a lot of people hate this film because of the infamous pie scene. It was a scene that made people walk out of the theaters. Um, but for me, I think the scene is very, very haunting and disturbing, and it's not a walk out of the theater because of how bad it is. It, I could see people walking out because of how disturbing it is. Um, because of how people deal with grief. And ba basically, the wife character comes home and is just so distraught that she just eats an entire pie by herself. And it's all done. Like, it's there's no cuts. There's no nothing. You just watch her do the entire thing. And it's very, very unsettling. Um, for me, it's one of the most... The scene that, like, hits the hardest in there. Um, anyone that's dealing with grief or has dealt with grief in their life, can really relate to this and can see this. Um, the film's insanely beautiful. It's insanely poignant. Um, it does get a little out there at some points. Um, the thing that bothers me the most about the film, because I think the film is like a complete masterpiece, I wish that it wasn't Casey Affleck as the ghost. That's the main thing, because the entire time you're watching this ghost, and you're like, damn, that's Casey Affleck. That's Casey Affleck as the ghost. Like, I wish it would have been like a no-name actor, um, or if... It, the, I, I don't know how they could have done it, but if they would have done the film where the main husband is a complete secret throughout the whole film. Like, you don't even see him in his human form at all, and it's just this ghost. Um, I think it would have been better, because 
I don't know, like, there's something about Casey Affleck, man, that just doesn't do it for me as this ghost in this film. Like, when I saw these images online of this ghost for years, like, I didn't think, like, oh, that's Casey Affleck. But now that's all I can think of. It's just so ridiculous to me. It's what prevents it probably from being a five-star film for me. Um, I think the film, without going too in-depth about it, because it's a film that I could do, like, an entire video essay about an entire lengthy video about, um, about a ghost story, um, which I can't do here just for the sake of time, but I think the film is great. I think this is a film everyone needs to see, even if you're not, because it's borderline not really a horror film. Um, it's more of just, like, a drama with a spooky sort of subject matter. Um... I think it's a film that everyone needs to see. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much all I have to say about a ghost story. So we're taking a break from the films I was dying to see because there is one, but it's sandwiched in between two more Friday the 13th films, and I watched all these in a day. I started with a Friday the 13th, I watched a film that has been on my bucket list for years, and then I ended the day with another Friday the 13th. And this was on May 29th. This was Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, an absolute classic from 1989. The Big Apples in Big Trouble. A group of students on graduation cruise bound for Manhattan soon realize that they've got a stowaway aboard the ship. Serial killer Jason Voorhees. This is another one I've talked about in the Friday the 13th rankings, obviously. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it here. Friday the 13th, Part 8, it sort of ranks towards the bottom of my list. Um, mainly because it's complete fucking false advertising. A lot of the film takes place on this cruise ship and not in Manhattan. The film is called Jason Takes Manhattan, not Jason Takes Over the Titanic or whatever it is. Jason Going Overboard is what they should have called the film, something like that. I wish that they would have done a whole Friday the 13th film on this boat, and then at the end of the film... They have Jason showing up in the city. Then the next film is Jason Takes Manhattan. Or if you find some way in the first, like, five minutes of a movie to figure out how Jason gets to New York, that's fine. But this entire movie is on this cruise ship. I understand New York is expensive to shoot in. But just shoot it more in Vancouver. They shot the majority of the city scenes in Vancouver. So I don't know why they just didn't do more of that. It's completely baffling. Because um, it has potential to be one of the best in the series. But as it stands, it is one of the worst in the series, in my humble opinion. So yeah, I don't want to spend too much more time on these Friday the 13th films because I do a whole episode about it. And frankly, I want to start flying through some of the rest of the ones that I've talked about before and whatever. So I'm just going to fly through the last couple Friday the 13th films when I get to them and not spend too much time on them. Um, but coming up next is the last film of this little series that I said that I had like three or four films that I was really, really looking forward to is It Comes at Night, the second part of my triple the feature of that day from 2017, secure within a desolate home as an unnatural threat terrorizes the world and man has established a tenuous domestic order with his wife and son. But there will soon be put to the test when a desperate young family arrives seeking refuge. And It Comes at Night is another film that I don't know how for years I did not watch it. Um, it's not a post-apocalyptic film. It's still in the middle of it. Um, there's a sickness in the film, very similar to today, actually, um, with COVID and all this kind of stuff. So it's very, very similar to what we're going through today. It sort of predicted the future a little bit, I would say. Um, very, very similar. Um, the film 
is very dark. It's very beautifully shot and everything, but it's shot to be gritty. It's shot to be, you know, very dark, depressing, stuff like that. The disease, I believe, is spread through the water supply because, I mean, in the film, everyone's wearing masks when they're kind of in exposure to the sickness, but when you're outside, they're not wearing the masks, so it's kind of similar to what we were dealing with with COVID, I would say. I mean, not really, but it's fine. Um, but they do mention a scene about, like, boiling water and having fresh water supply, so I think the disease is somewhat through the water. Um, and I've read some online theories and stuff like that where people are sort of saying that as well. Um, so that's not my own personal theory that I came up with. It's just sort of what I believe based on research others have done. Um, the film, it really makes you think about what you would do in these situations. It's very dark. As I said, there's not as much to say about this film in particular. Um, it's just one, again, that I think all people should go ahead and see. It comes at night. I don't know what comes at night. There could be a monster. There could not be a monster. There is a scene where the dog is, like, going ape shit, but you don't really see what he is going ape shit about. Of course, the dog you see on all the posters and everything like that. It is a film that, again, it's another one that I should have watched a few years ago, back when it first came out. For whatever reason, I missed the mark. It's also one that I've, I think I've had this film on Blu-ray since it came out, but I haven't watched it for some bizarre reason. It comes at night. Not as much to say about it. It's one to just go ahead and check out for yourself if you're interested in watching it. And it's one that people have talked about on the internet for a long time. So I, I'd rather focus on a couple of these other films, maybe, that don't have these deep, like, oh, it comes at night, explained videos, and, like, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess as brief as I can say about it, the better. Because um, this is the end of May. I want to at least get through June or July, hopefully, in this episode. So I'm going to try to breeze through some of these last ones as briefly as I possibly can. Um, without, you know, self-shorting it. If it's a film that needs a little bit more talking, I'm going to do that. If it's a film that I don't need to talk as much about, I'm not going to talk that much about it. This film, the next one, in the trilogy of films that I watched on that day. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Evil has finally found a home, like the Huey Lewis song. Jason Voorhees, the living, breathing essence of evil, is back for one fierce final fling. And we know it wasn't the last. Tracked down and blown to bits by a special FBI task force, everyone now assumes that he's finally dead. But everyone assumes wrong. Jason has been reborn with the bone-chilling ability to assume the identity of anyone he touches. The terrifying truth is that he could be anywhere or anybody. In this shocking, blood-soaked finale to Jason's carnage-ridden reign of terror, the horrible secret of this unstoppable killing instinct is finally revealed. And it's a stupid-ass fucking worm. This film is fucking horrendous. It is my least favorite out of the Friday the 13th film. That is no spoiler. Um, it is a fact. It is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Well, not really. That's a bit of a, a, bit of a stretch. But it's definitely the worst out of all of the big three slasher franchises. I think this is like by far the worst film out of any of those franchises. Go check out my Friday the 13th Ranked for more information about that. It's really really fucking bad skipping ahead to june we're finally on june 
I watched a couple films early on in the month, not exactly horror films. I'm just going to bring up this film very briefly because it's a film that Miles was literally obsessed with watching, Robo War from 1988. It's basically a RoboCop predator ripoff. Really bad, really stupid. A group of commandos head into the jungle of Venezuela on a highly classified mission and encounter a robotic killing machine. And that's all you need to know. That's all that really needs to be said about it. Uh, Miles had been hyping this film up for years. He had it on DVD. And literally for almost three years, every time we hung out, he would want to watch Robo War. We finally caved in in May and watched it, and Miles himself was even a little disappointed. Maybe one day we're going to have to really break down Robo War, because there are a few scenes in there that are worthy of talking about. Like, for example, a main character in the film, like in the squad of commandos, will die, and then they show him later on just walking around. Like, they didn't realize that they were using footage out of order, and there's just weird continuity errors. The film is a great film to be studied. That might be a film to really break down sometime. But it was a film Miles talked about for years. We finally watched it. And, well, it was something. It was definitely something. Next up on June 7th, we watched Me and My Wife, actually. A film that she had never seen, I hadn't seen in many, many years, was Drag Me to Hell. Of course, by Sam Raimi, the mastermind between the Evil Dead franchise. He did the Spider-Man films from the early to late 2000s, an absolute legend. Christine Brown has a good job, a great boyfriend, and a bright future. But in three days, she's going to hell. After denying a woman the extension she needs to keep her home, Lone Officer Christine Brown sees her once-promising life take a startling turn for the worst. Christine is convinced that she's being cursed by a gypsy, but her boyfriend is skeptical. Her only hope seems to lie in a psychic who claims he can help her lift the curse and keep her soul from being dragged straight to hell. This film, I gave three and a half stars. I loved it when I first saw it. I like it just about as much as I did when I first watched it. Um, what prevents it from being higher? I mean, it's not high-class cinema. It's very cliched at times, very silly at times, but it's still a film that I think that if you're a horror fan, it's one that you need to check out. It's one of the essential films from that time period to watch. It's a film that I don't think too many people have skipped it. I think most people have seen Drag Me to Hell. Um, there's a lot of really great scenes in it, very Evil Dead-esque. It screams Sam Raimi. The film is just complete the essence of Sam Raimi. I haven't seen Doctor Strange, but people say the new Doctor Strange movie that he did is very similar to a mainstream version of his Evil Dead, Drag Me to Hell sort of style and aesthetic. It's, it's a film that I think everyone should watch, Drag Me to Hell. Even though it's not a major classic, I don't think it's in the top... 10 films that have come out in this modern era. Um, they definitely be in the top 20, top 50, something like that. I'd really have to space them out, but it's definitely an essential film from that area that I think everyone needs to watch. Drag Me to Hell from 2009. One stop short of being classic, but definitely an essential film to check out. Next up, um, I watched Jurassic World Dominion, which is not a horror film, but it was a horrible film. Very bad, Jurassic World Dominion. 
Um, watched a couple of the Evangelion movies in between. And then towards the end of June, there wasn't too many horror films I watched in June. It was just Drag Me to Hell and this next film, which is called Night's End. It was another new release. Um, it came out, I think it was like earlier this year. Like It's not like it came out and I watched it instantly. Um, it's called Night's End. It was a Shudder original film, allegedly. Because um, Sh Shudder, they like to say it's an original film, but it's really like an indie film, and they buy the rights to it. They put it up similar like Netflix. It's not really a Netflix original or whatever. When the night ends, hell begins. An anxious Shudden unwittingly moves into a haunted apartment and hires a mysterious stranger to perform an exorcism, which takes a horrific turn. Night's End, I mean, the main character in the film, I mean, a spoiler alert, this film is not very good, um, but I do kind of want to talk about it just a little bit, I'm um, instead of just saying, oh, it wasn't that good, just skip it, whatever, um, I do find the main character sort of, you know, sort of relatable, he's a struggling YouTuber, a bit of a shut-in, kind of like myself, um, the problem with his channel is, is he's an entrepreneur, handyman, he's doing all these different kinds of videos, and he's really struggling to find an audience, He's also a divorced dad, which I don't relate to, obviously, um, but that just builds into his character as well. He's very meticulous. He's got a very organized kitchen. Um, he has everything in, like, nondescript containers, which he writes stuff on. Like, there's, um, he's very, very organized. Something that's very bizarre about him is he has Pepto, which he pours into his coffee every morning, which is very, very strange. And as the film progresses and he's slowly losing his mind and things are getting worse and worse and worse to him, he's pouring instead of, like, 10% Pepto-Bismol and 90% coffee, it'll be 25% Pepto, until eventually it's just an entire glass of Pepto, which is a little bit of coffee at the top. And I, maybe it's just sometimes it's a straight glass with literal, literal drops of coffee that's put into it. Very bizarre. Like, he has tomato soup, and it just says tomato soup on it, black beans, it, there's no brands on them, and maybe it's just because it's a low-budget film, and they just needed to show that he has things, and they took the packaging off, but I just thought that was worth pointing out, like, it was something I noticed during the film. Um, his friend gives him advice, maybe hone in on a specific topic on your YouTube channel, maybe don't release three videos at the exact same time, spread them out a little bit. Um, and his friend is very supportive of him. His friend's watching his videos, and when his friend watches one of the YouTube videos he puts up, he notices that a taxidermy bird that, like, he has in the background falls off of the shelf, like, mid-video. Um, they end up doing some research. They discover his apartment is haunted, of course. And then he decides to start making ghost videos, which is uh, logically the next thing that you would do. Michael Shannon is probably the biggest name actor in this film. I think he's the only actor in this film that anyone would recognize at all. He seems absolutely trashed during the film. He seems like he doesn't give a shit at all to be there. He's just getting a paycheck. That's just how it seems. I don't know if that was actually the case. Um, his utilization in the film is very bizarre, regardless. Um, as I said, he increasingly starts going insane. And then the ending of the film is probably one of the most unintentionally hilarious things I've seen in a long time, um, which makes me feel bad because I can tell that the film obviously did not have a big budget, obviously didn't have a big studio behind it, but the ending is just kind of laughable. And everyone's just screaming and making goofy faces at the camera. It's very, very, very stupid. And it makes me feel bad. 
I'm sort of ragging on it, but it's just, it is embarrassing. The end is, is kind of embarrassing. Um, Night's End, I don't recommend it. And I don't know. There's not much really to say about it. I just kind of wanted to give a little bit of the background of the story to you guys. Um, without just saying just completely disregard it. Um, the film leading up to that point is relatively entertaining. Um, but the ending, man, it just completely sours it from being, oh, this is an underrated gem to, oh, this is just kind of, kind of bad. So, Night's End, I can't really recommend it. It's still up on Shudder. If you guys aren't interested in checking it out, it's not a very long watch. It's only 80 minutes. So maybe if it's the film you put on after a double feature or just kind of something to have on or whatever, I'd say check it out. But it's definitely not one that's going to be an underrated classic in a few years. It's just going to fade into obscurity, if I can be honest with you guys. Moving on to the month of July. That was all the only films we watched in June, or just a couple little films in June. Freddy vs. Jason. I watched on July 1st, and it's from 2003, of course. Again, I'm not going to spend too much time on Freddy vs. Jason. I won't even read the description, because I think Freddy vs. Jason was in the video I watched last year, too, of the films I watched in 2021, because I watched it in preparation for The Nightmare on Elm Street ranking. I watched it in preparation again for the Friday the 13th ranking. So you guys should know my opinions on Freddy vs. Jason at this point. So I'm just going to kind of skip over that one for the time being. And the film I watched after that was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Not a horror film worth bringing up. It's an actual masterpiece. It does have Jamie Lee Curtis in it, so it's not totally off topic. And there are some scary things in it, so again, it's not totally off topic. But the film is very, very good. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's definitely a film that everyone needs to check out. All at once. All at once, everyone needs to check it out. Everything and everywhere that you are. Go check it out. Very, very good film. And coming up next is The Black Phone, which is another film I saw in theaters. It's a new release film. Um, I think it actually came out like last year, but it didn't get a release in theaters until this year. Never Talk to Strangers. Finney Shaw, a shy but clever 13-year-old boy, is abducted by a sadistic killer and trapped in a soundproof basement where screaming is of little use. When a disconnected phone on the wall begins to ring, Finney discovers that he can hear the voices of the killer's previous victims, and they are dead set on making sure that what happened to them doesn't happen to Finney. I thought The Black Phone was a very good film for what it was. It's very much more of a psychological thriller than it is a horror film, but it does have a lot of horror elements, and it has a horror aesthetic. Of course, he's talking to the ghosts on the phone of the past victims, and it's just a scary concept, like child abduction, being in this basement, and a killer that you can't reason with, a killer that's completely psychotic. There's very memorable scenes in this film. I wish the film was longer than it was. It's 103 minutes. This film, I think you could have made longer. Um, I really enjoyed every moment of The Black Phone. I don't think it's a film that's like a masterpiece or anything. It's only a three-star film. But when I was watching it, I wish that it was longer. I wish there was a little bit more to it than what it was. It's very... for. Even with the ghost aspect of it, it's still a relatively simple film, very very simple concept and everything. So let's talk about the mask in this film, because everyone's going crazy about the mask. It, of course, was 
conceptualized and made by Tom Savini, the iconic horror makeup special effects artist behind some of your favorite horror films from the 70s and 80s. You guys know Tom Savini's work, even if you don't know who Tom Savini is. But I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you know who Tom Savini is. Um, The Mask, basically, The Mask in this... It's a nameless ghoul. The mask in this film is a nameless ghoul from the band Ghost. Tom Savini was probably drunk off his ass watching ghost music videos online and was like, damn, that's going to be the mask for my next horror film. It looks exactly like the nameless ghouls, except for the fact that you can change the facial expressions on it. Um, the, nameless ghouls, the nameless ghouls, of course, have no facial expressions on the mask. And that's how we first see the mask in this. There's no mouth on it at all. You can't tell his expression. But the mask has these like indents in it where you can change the bottom piece. So there's a creepy smile. There's a frown. You can make it look angry, scary. And I think it's a good concept for a mask, but that was immediately what I thought when I saw it. I was like, damn, that is a nameless ghoul mask from Ghost. And, yeah, I, I like the Black Phone a lot. There's not too, too much to say about it. I do recommend that everyone goes and checks it out once it is. Well, probably at this point, you could probably get it on Blu-ray. Because um, this is, I mean, I'm recording this a little bit in advance. So I'm pretty sure at this point, you can go get it on Blu-ray. You can rent it on demand. So I would definitely recommend doing so for the Black Phone. I, I definitely love that I got to watch it in theaters. And, yeah, it was a great experience all the way around. So coming up next, as I said, we just have a few films left because I just want to wrap out this month of July for you guys. I rewatched actually a film I talked about already in this very episode, Friday the 13th Part 2. I wanted it just to be a little bit fresher in my memory going into recording all of the films that we ranked in the Friday the 13th franchise. So I rewatched Part 2 and I rewatched the film that I'll be talking about for the first time in this 2022 series. Um, the last of the Friday the 13th films that I hadn't watched yet in preparation for the episode, which is the last film that was made besides Freddy vs. Jason, the last actual film in the Friday the 13th franchise, not the crossover franchise, was Jason X from 2001. Evil has an upgrade. In the year 2455, Old Earth is now a contaminated planet, abandoned for centuries. A brown world of violent storms, toxic land masses, and poisonous seas. Yet, humans have returned to the deadly place that they once fled, not to live, but to research the ancient, rusting artifacts of the long-gone civilizations. But it's not the harmful environment that could prove fatal to the intrepid young explorers who have just landed on Old Earth. For them, it's Friday the 13th, and Jason lives. Jason X, very, very fun film. But I can't justify giving it over two and a half stars on my letterboxd. But still a very, very fun film regardless in the Friday the 13th franchise. We've talked about it in other shows before. It's a film Miles and I have watched together. And it's just a riot, man. It has a couple of my favorite kills in the franchise. Of course, the film where the girl's head gets frozen underwater and then smashed up against the counter. And the sleeping bag scene, there's like simulations, like they put Jason in a simulator. It's just so ridiculous. The film is an absolute riot, a must-watch if you guys haven't seen it yet. Coming up next is a film I mentioned briefly in this episode so far because I watched a film 
by the director already this year. I rewatched Ex Machina, directed by Alex Garland. One of my favorite films from 2015, if you guys remember. Back in 2015, at the end of the year, I made a top 10 list of all the films that were in my top 10 of 2015, and Ex Machina was on that list. There is nothing more human than the will to survive. Caleb, a coder at the world's largest internet company, wins a competition to spend a week at a private mountain retreat belonging to Nathan, the reclusive CEO of the company. But when Caleb arrives at the remote location, he finds that he will have to participate in a strange and fascinating experience in which he must interact with the world's first true artificial intelligence, housed in the body of a beautiful robot girl. Ex Machina, if you missed it, when it first came out in 2015, this is a film that another one that I think is absolutely essential viewing. It's a good horror sci-fi story, but not in your typical sense. A lot of times you see, oh, it's a sci-fi film, it's in space with lasers, shit like that. This is a very different take on the sci-fi kind of film, and it definitely has a lot of horror elements. It's You're in a house. You don't know if you're going to get out of the house. You don't know if you're going to live, you're going to die. You don't know if the crazy CEO of the company is gonna kill you there's a robot that could potentially go ape shit and kill you although it is a love story there's romance involved it's a horror romance sci-fi thriller um the film is just kind of bizarre it has a lot of different elements to it there's weird dancing segments to it and you don't know who's gonna outsmart the other i mean pretty early on you know that there's gonna be some tension between these three parties the robot the ceo and our main character, Caleb, who was the one who was brought here to begin with on Mysterious Circumstances. So you don't know if he's going to get killed by the CEO. You don't know if he's going to get killed by the robot. You don't know what is going to happen in this film. It keeps you guessing. There's a lot of twists and turns. Some of the twists and turns you can see coming. Some of the other ones you can't really. It's just a really good film and I believe this was Alex Garland's first film. At least his first like mainstream film that a lot of people saw. And I really, really enjoy Ex Machina. It's an easy four-star film. I haven't seen Annihilation yet. That's the only one out of the main three Alex Garland films that I haven't seen yet. I definitely look forward to checking that one out. And coming up after Ex Machina is a film from 2009 that I saw in theaters. One of the first horror films that I saw in theaters, um, to my knowledge, besides the Saw films and stuff like that. This was one of the first ones I saw in theater. And remember, actually really, really liking when I was in high school. It's called The Uninvited. It's from 2009. Not knowing this going in, but it, it was a remake of the film, A Tale of Two Sisters. Didn't know that going in, of course, especially in 2009. Had no idea that that was a remake. It wasn't until a few years later that I had learned about it, that it was one of the remakes, that, like, oh, how they remade The Ring, they remade The Grudge. It was just another remake that they did of a film from overseas that they did, and at least with this one, it's a little more hidden. At least you knew with The Ring and The Grudge, okay, this is a remake of a J-horror film, but with The Uninvited, it's not as obvious. Um, and it wasn't as obvious to me, obviously, because I didn't know it was a remake at the time. 
Can you believe what you see? Anna returns home after spending time in a psychiatric facility following her mother's tragic death and discovers that her mother's former nurse, Rachel, has moved on into their house and has become engaged to their father. Soon after she learns the shocking news, Anna is visited by her mother's ghost, who warns her that Rachel has evil intentions. This is a film that I was looking forward to rewatching because I really liked it a lot when I was younger, and... I really liked it now. I didn't really think it was. I, again, it's not a major classic. It's just a three-star film. But I really enjoyed watching it. And once you know the twist at the end, because I knew the twist at the end because I had saw it 12 years ago or whatever, I was curious how they were going to do the beginning portion of the film once you sort of knew what the twist was. And they handle it pretty much as well as I would have expected. Actually, they handled it, handled it a little bit better than I expected because once you know the twist and you go back and rewatch it, you're like, okay, how did we not see this going in? And they kind of handle it well in some good in some scenes, but they kind of handle it not as well and it makes it a little obvious in other scenes. But overall, I thought it was very well done for what it is. Again, not a major classic or anything like that. I would love to watch the film that it was based on and maybe do like a uh, a remake versus the original kind of thing and see... I mean, obviously the, the original is probably going to be a lot better than the remake. But it would be interesting to kind of put them back to back and see what films do what better and if they tell the story the same or equal or different or whatever. Be an interesting one to do. That's definitely one that I would like to check out because I have not seen it. Um, so that would be a good one that I would want to do. Only a couple films left for July, and the next one I actually saw at the drive-in was Jordan Peele's Nope. Of course, the new release, directed by Jordan Peele. I don't know what else to say. Aliens. What's a bad miracle? Residents in a lonely gulch of inland California bear witness to an uncanny, chilling discovery. A lot of people really, really love Nope. They're giving it four stars, five star reviews. Me, I gave it... What did I give it? I gave it two and a half. Um, I... I was kind of bored through Nope. I don't want to go too in-depth about it because it is a new release. I want you guys to all go check it out and support it because I want Jordan Peele to make more films. But for me, I think this was his the least good out of the three films that he's made. And it's hard to really go into what I don't like about it, what I do like about it, without going too much in-depth about the story. But I guess, plain and simple, I thought most of it was boring. Um, I... I don't know. I just wanted something so much different than what we got, so I was a little disappointed in it. But regardless, it still has a lot of like it has a lot of good themes. It has a lot of good symbolism, stuff like that. That has nothing to do with my enjoyment of watching the film. I like what the film is representing. I love the messages of the film. I love all of that. I just don't really care for watching the film itself. I mean, maybe. When I rewatch it, I will like it a little bit more because I do plan on rewatching it at some point. Same with us, and I don't know. For me, it just didn't really do anything for me. I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad that I saw it, but I don't think it was as good of a film as it could and should have been. Um, coming up next, a couple days later, I saw which at this point is my favorite film of 2022. It's not a horror film, but I'm bringing it up just because I think everyone needs to go see Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Absolute masterpiece. Marcel, 
<laughs> I mean, saying his name wrong. Marcel, the shell with shoes on, is an absolute giga chad. Um, everyone in the theater was flexing beyond belief. Um, it, all jokes aside, it's one of the most heartwarming films that I've seen in a while. Definitely the most heartwarming and good film that I've seen this year. Very, very phenomenal film, Marcel the Shell, with shoes on. Go check it out. Even if you're a horror fan, everyone should be checking out Marcel the Shell. Absolute giga chad. A true king. The last film I watched in July... And what's going to be wrapping up our podcast, our podcast, Jesus Christ, I can't even speak anymore, is Blackula from 1972, directed by William Crane. Blackula, Dracula's soul brother. An 18th century African prince is turned into a vampire while visiting Transylvania. Two centuries later, he rises from his coffin attacking various residents of Los Angeles and meets Tina, a woman who he believes is the reincarnation of his deceased wife. I thought that this film was very good. Um, I like the opening credits. They're all done animated. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good music in this. I mean, it's an exploitation film from the 70s, so you need to go in knowing that this is an exploitation film. Um, I love the music throughout. Um, there's a corner with a hook for a hand in it. I think that's a great, great moment in there. It's just kind of a funny little tidbit. Um, there's a lot of, so horror films, especially in the 80s, you see this a lot in the 80s, where you're trying to pad that runtime a little bit, and you're basically going to become a music video, and there's a lot of films that do this, like, we've talked about a ton of films on Lost on VHS, where all of a sudden the film stops, and you're listening to a band in a club, and you're just watching them play for, like, three or four minutes. That happens in Blackula as well, which was obviously a lot earlier than the 80s. Um, there's actually two songs in this, and, yeah, it just becomes a music video for a little bit, trying to pad that runtime. This was two years before Dan Curtis's version of Dracula, which also bears a similar plot point, where Dracula's lover is believed to be a reincarnation of... Well, the main woman in the film in modern day is a reincarnation of Dracula's lover from back when the vampire was turned into a vampire. And so I believe the Dan Curtis film has a lot... owes a lot to Blackula. So does Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula film, where that is another big plot point of the film. Um, Blackula himself, he has a great look, great voice... Um, there's also many vampires in this. Um, he turns his lover into a vampire, and it's just very good. The film is not, because a lot of people going in, they're like, oh, this is just a parody of Dracula. It's not a parody of Dracula. It's its own original story. Dracula himself is actually in the film at the beginning. Um, he's the one who creates Blackula. And of, one, of, one of the things that I think could be a disappointment about this film is that it's not, it, there's it's a lot of like police procedural kind of thing, unraveling, like, the mystery of what's going on, and not as much on the horror stuff. A lot of it, again, as, like, a police drama for part of it, which is, I can see being a little bit disappointing, but overall, I don't think it really affects the film, like, the, uh, the quality of the film that much. I mean, it is a police procedural for a lot of it. Um, it's about half and half, half horror, half crime film, where you're trying to figure out what's going on. And overall, I think it's a good film. I gave it three stars. I think that's where it needs to be. Um, and looking at Letterboxd, the average rating is three stars. You get like a little two pyramids going up all the way to the three star. It goes up, and then at the three o'clock is the peak, and then it goes down a little bit towards then. Which is good. It's a good, serviceable vampire film from the 70s. 
And yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about it, and that's pretty much all I have to say for this podcast. I want to know what films you guys have watched so far this year. You guys need to let me know down in the comment section below if you're over on YouTube what films you have watched in 2022. What are some of your favorites? What are some of your least favorites? And let me know what I should be checking out because there's still a few more months in 2022. So I would love to know what I should be checking out next. So definitely reach out to me on Twitter, reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you guys want to reach out to me. And yeah, I will be closing out this episode in a second in the outro. But yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for checking out this episode, you guys. Thanks for listening to what I had to say with the films that I've seen so far in 2022, at least through the month of July. We'll pick it back up again, maybe later this month. I don't know. Maybe we'll do another episode later this month of films I watched through August, September, and October so far. I'm not sure. But definitely an episode at the end of the year where I'm wrapping up everything that I saw in these remaining months of 2022. So with that... Just again, wanted to say thanks, and I'll see you guys in the outro. But that's about it for this time, you guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to all the films that I saw in 2022. If you guys haven't already, please make sure you're subscribing to my channel and turning on notifications so you know when I put out new videos. And if you're listening over this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button and leaving me a rating and a review. I'll see you guys back here again for another episode of The House of Horror coming very, very soon. So with that, take care and stay spooky.